Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade. I'm Rex. He's Lav. Uh, we have some golf to talk about. We're one week closer to the restart of the PGA Tour season. But I, And this is a serious question, Lav, so please don't laugh. How much hand sanitizer is too much hand sanitizer? And I only ask because I have scrubbed my hands so much that whatever skin is left is 80% alcohol. Yeah, I'm already in my second bottle of hand sanitizer. I keep one in the car. I mean, we're getting, we're getting low here. Fortunately, we still have like those those Clorox disinfecting wipes. Can you actually use those on your hands or is that basically like putting acid on your hands? Uh, I mean, I would use it. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I did a story. We'll get to it desperate later. Times. Where I went to, desperate times. Where I went to a golf course on Monday because it opened up. It was one of the few municipal courses we have in this area. And I, did, I sat in my car and thought, should I bring the mask? Should I bring the bottle of hand sanitizer? Like, you don't know. Like, yeah, should, the answer is yes. Anything? Uh, I did not bring the the mask because it was a little 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 warm. I don't know if you've ever tried to walk. Oh, it's horrible! It's actually horrible to be any sort of active with with the mask on. You're just breathing in cotton. Well, don't even be active. Like, I, what got me thinking about this is I'm wandering aimlessly through Lowe's yesterday, and I, I find myself stopping at random hand sanitizer stations every five feet just to dip a little bit on my hands and start rubbing them together. I haven't touched anything. No one's within 15 feet of me, but I just feel compelled every time I, was I doing see that. it. I'm going to work. I, w- I was doing that at the players at the, at the TBC Sawgrass Media Center. They had like the hand sanitizer jug and that was when it was just starting, <laughs> starting to explode. Of course, the tournament got canceled uh, like a day and a half into it. Um, but like every time I got up from my seat, I would do it. And by the time I got back to my laptop, it was just covered in, in goo and in grime <laughs> because my hands were so slippery with hand sanitizer. It was disgusting. I'm not sure it's actually gotten any better over the past couple months. We're going to find out 15 years from now that the hand sanitizer is, which that's going to, that's going to get us. Not COVID-19, <laughs> not, not the murder wasp. It's going to be the hand sanitizer. Uh, to kick into the golf this week, and, and this was interesting to me, and I think you and I have talked about this. So the ESPN documentary on Michael Jordan's last season, The Last Dance, and it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I love the fact that they're doing this in a way that makes you regulate yourself. You're only getting two of these at a time, so digest them however you wish. And I love the fact that there's a little bit of, you have to wait, you have to look forward to it. It becomes an event a little bit more than the society we live in right now. But uh, Brooks Kepka was asked his best Jordan story the other day on Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center, And he did this great story about walking the 17th tee, one of the first rounds they ever played together. They got a match going. He's one down to Michael. He makes the mistake of talking a little bit of trash. And Michael shoots back. It's the fourth quarter, baby. I don't lose. And as we now know, he did not lose a bad beat if ever there was one. Lav, I challenge you. You got a beat worse than that? Uh, it, it, so I was kind of indirectly evolved. So we, we have, we have this thing called the red solo cup. It's golfchannel.com and, and, and golf channel personalities and writers and editors all, all going head to head. You know, it's usually what six on six, eight on eight, something like that. So in, yes. in 2018, 
uh, I was teamed up with one of our social media, uh, so one of our social media uh, kids. Our, our his his name will be removed uh, just to protect his his reputation. Oh, give, give, give his name. Hello, Cap. Name names. Um, and so Hi. we had an absolutely terrible front nine. I nearly lost my tee shot on nine. It's like a semi-drivable par four. Blew it way left. Anyway, I got up and down for par to to have the team match on the front nine. So then you go into the back nine, and it is singles. And I absolutely destroyed our managing editor, Mercer Bass. I beat him four and three in a nine-hole match, which is just an absolute destruction. Anyway. Yeah, very humble brag there. Yes, anyway. So Bailey Bailey Mosher, now Bailey Chambly, of course, Randall Chambly's wife. We, she's a friend to all of us. She was one up against Cav going to one, and it's a par five at Mission Inn, which is, I absolutely hate this golf course. And the oh, par wow. five I didn't 17, know I was going to have to get a caddy for you to yes. hear this story. Please, can we, can we tighten it up just a, a little bit? The par 517 is one of the worst holes on the planet. There's a tree in the middle of the fairway. Anyway, Bailey blows it into the back greenside bunker. Absolutely dead. It's a tucked pin. Absolutely no green to work with. Downhill lie, downhill hill cup. She leaves her third shot in the bunker. Cav two putts for his par. So Bailey is looking at, boy, she's going to have to do something really miraculous here with her fifth shot in order to, to get this match to 18. She ends up holding the thing. It trickles out, holds right to the cup. They get the half point. They win the red solo cup. It is the first time, Rex, in Golf Channel history in which someone was doing cartwheels uh, on a green, which is exactly how Bailey celebrated for her that. half point and her victory. Cartwheels. That was, that was a big moment. Yeah, no, I was a spectator for that. I, I've watched a, a lot of cool golf stuff up close and personal. The 08 U.S. Open, I can keep going on and on. That one is going to be a highlight. You're right. Just not holding out, but then the cartwheels, everything that went into it, the celebration. I mean, it was Brookline is what it was. I mean, we just went nuts. I mean, Monty, it wasn't Monty getting you know, humiliated in front of the crowd and you know Justin Leonard stampeding all around the green. At least, at least she was careful to do the cartwheels and not just parading all of all over the green at least there was some decency well uh, yeah mine's not nowhere near as exciting about that one but i don't know have you ever played golf with a, with an australian before or in a match against an australian before i'm trying to f nothing immediately comes to mind and I, I grew up playing basketball i'm I'm used to the concept of talking trash my wife doesn't let me play basketball with my my teenage sons because there's too much trash talking and, and it usually ends with someone crying it's usually me i'm not gonna lie yeah, but say. so we're we're playing in a match against an Australian uh, and it's, this has been within the last two or three years. And he talks trash like you're on a basketball court. And at first it doesn't bother me, but then we get him. We're, we're four up with four to play completely dormy. He talks trash to the point. It bugs me. We lose the next four holes. And, and then I let him talk me into, let's have a putt off to decide the match. We can't let it end in a tie. He wins the putt off. So the story of that, I mean, the, the lesson there of course is talk trash and I'm going to collapse. I'm going to fold. I don't think trash talk actually works on a golf course. I think, and I think Brooks was, was kind of making that point. Like it just, it just feels forced. Like you're not going head to head. You're not going to fight afterward. Or actually maybe, maybe you will fight afterward if you're, if you're uh, Ernie Els. Um, but like, it's just not gonna, it's just not actually going to work. Like in a basketball court, you're so close to them. You can whisper in your, you can, you can get under the skin that way. Like, can you really do it? And then, okay, go drive off in your cart and, and see you again in two minutes. You read the BK story that he told yesterday about MJ. You, yeah. you think Michael was going to get upset if BK's just minding his business and and going about not saying anything? Absolutely not. If you're going to talk trash to the greatest competitor of all time, I would argue, then yes, he's going to come at you. The best I've learned when you're playing someone who's at that level at anything 
is not to talk trash because you don't want the target on your chest. Jordan was also getting strokes. I don't, I don't think he was getting a, a handicap when he played basketball. Of course though. he was. No, no, no. Of course he was. But it's the competitive spirit I'm trying to get into. All right, before Kaz really gets angry, I'll get to some golf. There was a conference call. You and I both were on it yesterday. And Brendan Todd, who is interesting because – Lit us up. We, Brendan Todd lit us up. It, and I was not looking forward to that. I'm not going to lie to you. I, was almost, I almost did not even go on the conference call. But he was uh, not quite brilliant, but very, very good. And the thing that stood out to me is, first and foremost, this guy is best prepared for this layoff than anyone. Because you're talking about a guy who's gone through slumps in his career. He has spent plenty of weeks sitting on his couch waiting to start in a golf tournament. So he's very much used to this. But the part I wanted to touch on is they're still developing the protocols. Whenever golf starts again right now, it's the second week of June at Colonial for the Charles Schwab Challenge. The protocols as far as testing, I think Brendan sort of pulled back the curtain a little bit and gave us a glimpse. The way he kind of said it, there'll be, uh, you give yourself a test for COVID-19 before you get on a plane to fly to the tournament. There'll be a test when you get to the tournament and then probably one midweek. Now, the part that was fascinating to me is, and this is the million dollar question in my mind, beyond will we have testing available enough that we can do this, what happens if someone tests positive? I'm asking. And the answer is that that player is going to self-quarantine for 14 days on site. No human interaction with his fellow players, no human interaction with his caddy, PJ Tour officials, family can't come to see him. He has to be trapped in his hotel room or wherever they're going to quarantine him for 14 days by himself. That, to, to Brendan Todd, was kind of the, the most worrisome thing, that if he does test positive, he now has to be away from his family for two weeks, but that's that's what it's going to be across the board. I saw a Corn Ferry Tour memo that was exact same on, on that tour. That's the situation that you're going to have. And you're right, Rex. Brendan Todd, who is a very underrated interview, by the way, um, he, he really did pull back the curtain for us, not just with the testing, but he said that you know it's going to be players, caddies, officials. You know, media is still kind of being sorted out whether we're going to be available to be at these tournaments, even so much as the clubhouse staff, you know, the, the, the cook staff, the, the waiters that you would have in player dining in, in the locker room, they're still trying to figure out whether that's even going to be open for, for players to access. You know, you're going to have a quarantine potentially in one to two area hotels where, where all players and caddies are going to be forced to stay so you can kind of control the environment a little bit. That's, that's going to be a huge departure for a lot of the big name players who are used to staying in you know, housing around Colonial Country Club. Now you're you're going to be holed up at a Hilton with the rest of your PJ Tour brethren, just so they can control the environment. To me, that was really interesting. But but Brendan Todd in particular, he didn't seem particularly uh, enamored with that idea of self quarantining for a positive test. But there's absolutely no way that one would be hard. Yeah, I mean, no but one there's, wants to but be there's, away. But there's no way around it. What are you going to do? Put him back yeah. on a flight to to go home? You can't do that. No, you absolutely can't do that. And I understand. Like, no one wants to, to be sick. No one wants to catch coronavirus. I understand that. That goes without saying. You certainly don't want to do it 500 miles away from your family in a strange town, staying in a strange hotel room. I mean, that that is not a best-case scenario. Going beyond the, okay, one random person, be it a caddy, a player, a media type, whatever the case may be, test positive. He also touched on the idea that what if it becomes an outbreak? What if suddenly you've got three, four, five, six people? And this is something that the tour has not addressed, that at some point, the competition becomes unviable. I mean, there is a scenario where someone catches it going into the final round. And I understand that they have to withdraw and self-quarantine. 
there's also a competitive element to this. Like you're, you're putting these people at a disadvantage simply because their immune system couldn't catch up. Yeah. I don't think it's just as easy as contact tracing. Like let's, let's say Brendan Todd gets it on, on Thursday and you, you know, you, you trace all the contacts that he'd have the previous few days, eliminate them from the competition and just, and just carry on. I don't, I don't think it's that simple. And I think it's also, you have to look at the optics of this. You know, if you have one player, even if, even if you did isolate him and look at the contact tracing, just the optics of, of restarting sports, getting it some semblance of normalcy, and then you do have a player test positive, how can you continue to forge ahead? I don't think it's just as easy as, as isolating them and, and carrying on mm-hmm. like as business as normal. The optics of it are absolutely horrible. What a lot of people are already cautioning whether you know, sports should return at all in this new normal until we get a vaccine. Uh, and I see where they're coming from. I think the test right now is probably the cornerstone. We talked about this last week. You were obviously busy, couldn't join us for the podcast, but NASCAR's planned return is without test. And I found that fascinating because they have decided that, look, it's more important for these tests to be used elsewhere. And, and we can certainly agree with that with a shortage of tests. But to make the wholesale decision, and NASCAR is going to come back about two weeks before golf, that we're going to do this with a similar footprint. We're talking about six, seven, eight hundred people on site at a NASCAR race versus a little bit more at a tour event. It's it, so it's May seventeenth is when they're going to come back. It's it, I mean it's a very very slippery slope where I think they're they're they could set a standard and sort of pave the way for all of sports, or they could implode things and it could be Rudy, Rudy Gobert all over again, and we get halted in our tracks. And next thing you know, we're waiting weeks and weeks again to play. And I think that's really dangerous too, isn't it, Rex? Like just doing your temperature checks isn't isn't going to be enough when we know what we know now about asymptomatic carriers and 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 yeah. how this is is transmitted. I think that's really dangerous. I think I said this a, a couple of weeks ago on the on the podcast, and I'll I'll reiterate it here that being at an actual tournament, having a seventy two hole competition, to me is actually the least of the tour's issues when it comes to handling this with the coronavirus pandemic. To me, it is all about the travel from week to week, city to city, new environments every single week, new players coming and going. That, to me, is the challenge. Actually having a 72-hole competition where everyone's tested, maybe you have a locker room, the dining room's closed, maybe you, you, know, you, you obviously have to self-distance on the golf course, but all the things that can go into actually having a 72-hole competition with quarantine players in one to two area hotels, to me, is the easy part. It's what happens after the first event. To me, it's worth well, relatively really easy. I, I would, I would, I would say relatively easy. But you're right. I mean, it's more getting on an airplane. It's it's more getting in a cab or a courtesy car that you don't know how it's been cleaned. And you don't know who the last person is. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. All right. Well, we are getting closer to tour golf. We're hopeful of that. But recreational golf, I think we're almost here. And so I spent Monday, and there aren't too many municipal courses here in Central Florida, but there is one in Winter Park. It's a nine-hole golf course. I've heard of, of a blue-collar place. Have you heard of that one? It's gotten, gotten just yeah, a little bit of publicity. A little bit of pub, but they have been closed. They, they actually closed early in the process and they just reopened on Monday. So I kind of spent the morning out watching and, and it, was, it was fascinating to see what golf is going to look like, at least in the immediate future. And you, I had it. There was an instance when uh, a single showed up. There's all kinds of rules. That, did you, that did you bring your clubs? I did not. No, I didn't. And, and that's what my wife thought I was doing. She thought I was sneaking out to go play golf and that wasn't the case at all. Uh, but I, the exchange on the first tee between a player that showed up by himself and another player that showed up by himself, it was the most awkward thing I've ever seen in my life. They, they're 
probably 20 feet from each other and it's high on Jeff and, and high on this shouting to each other. Yeah. Sort of nodding. Cause they know they can't get in closer than that. And one tees off and it takes three minutes for the other to get to the tee box. Cause he's standing so far away. And there's a picture of them that I took walking down the fairway that they're on opposite sides of the fairway. And it was just, I, I ended up walking a couple holes with those two. And it, it's a snapshot that I know golf is probably of all the sports, the best prepared. I mean, if you're going to social distance in any sport, golf is the one there's still going to be things we're, we're going to have to accept. No raking bunkers. You, you didn't hole out putts, which honestly I didn't mind. It seemed like the probably fair way to you. do it. it. Yeah, it's probably best. All, all concerned. But it's in look in Florida has been a little ahead of the curve when it came to allowing people to play golf. I mean, my in-laws have played golf throughout the pandemic. They, they live on a golf course. It's a private club. However, when you start thinking about the places up north in areas where the pandemic has hit much, much harder, and you look at these golf courses when they might open up and you look at this new reality and this list of rules that everyone had to adhere to, to the point that they have marshals on the golf course now to make sure everyone's adhering to the rules. Because as the club manager explained to me, that's the first thing that's going to get them shut down. This was a city council vote that was three to two to allow that golf course to open again. So going back to your previous point, not everyone agrees we should be playing golf again. I think it's actually, you know, and you were out there and I haven't had the opportunity to, to play golf. I've been a little bit busy chasing my 16 month old around. Um, but really? I, I, I think the fact that there are some, some good ideas with these CDC guidelines in terms of, of playing golf with, with single riders and, and no rakes and kind of the, the pool noodles and PVC piping around the, around the cup. So the ball doesn't drop all the way to the bottom. And you have to fish it out or leaving the flag stick in or, you know, hand sanitizer around and, I, you know, I thought it was interesting because I, I do think that is sustainable from just a, a playing aspect. I'm not sure the the business model and, you know, if that, if that's applying to a, a pebble beach or abandon, whether those golf courses operating at, let's say 25% capacity um, is going to be sustainable for a long-term future. But I, you know, I, I posed that question to Brendan Todd yesterday, Rex, because, you know, is it, is it possible that PJ tour competition could employ some of these, guidelines and institute them and actually have a, a legitimate competition where you're playing for $1.2 million. And so Brendan Todd said, you know what, six feet distance when we're walking down the fairway, no problem. If you get on a crowded tee box, you're probably going to break that, or you might have to have a player who's staggered off to the side or whatever the case may be. The interaction with the caddy is certainly going to be interesting. Although, however, if you're both testing, you're both tested negative. I think that that kind of um, you can, you can get away with that a little bit more. Maybe the, maybe the player now has to dig into the bag and, and get the club, um, that type of thing. But with the bunker rakes, look, we see it every single year at the open championship, but there's a designated bunker raker who is assigned to each yeah. and every group. I don't see why you couldn't have that at a PJ tour competition. Although I'd, to be honest with you, Rex, I'd kind of like seeing bunkers go back to being actual hazards. You know, kind of like sandy areas, like you see some, like you see at the Hero World Challenge. Yes, that got uh, Patrick Reed in trouble, but you know that actually adds a little bit more challenge when you hit in the sand. The one thing I hate, I absolutely hate it, is when a player will hit a shot and he says, "Get in the bunker." You know, you don't you don't want to be in that thick, tangly rough around the green. Get, just get in the bunker. Come on, you should not be wishing I've the ball to get that. in the bunker. Not once in my golf career has I have I ever yelled that. That's because your bunker plays. I might have yelled. Long. 
Yeah, get in the rough. Even get in the <laughs> please, water, maybe. Please, my guy, just get in the rough. Um, please. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never yelled that one time. Well, and then yesterday there was a roundtable that, that kind of adheres to this. So there's a, an industry group uh, that created what they call Back to Golf. And what it is is they're setting these standards. And, and these aren't rules. These aren't regulations. It's The way it was explained is best practices is the way it was kind of explained. And Seth Wall, the CEO of the PGA of America, was kind of the point person on this. And the way it was explained is – they went to the CDC and said, okay, if you were running golf, if you're running a golf course, what are the things you would like to see? And there, there is a list of things, no raking bunkers, no touching flag sticks. One of the simplest ones that I saw on Monday and just walking around was, and we do this all the time. You're playing golf with someone and you reach into the other guy's bag to see, oh, I like that wedge. I mean, you do it absentmindedly. And now it's going to be, you're going to have to think, no, like it, you can't do that. You can't toss a guy's golf ball to him. I mean, all of these things have to be considered and it's going forward. It's just going to be the way the game has changed. And, and I will say this, listening to that conference call yesterday and Mike Davis, the CEO of the USGA was also on that round table. He talked about, these are things that golf is going to have to do. These just aren't good ideas that if golf wants to, to be able to return to something close to normal, you're going to have to adhere to these rules. If not, you're not going to be allowed to play. But doesn't the PGA Tour always lead by example? I mean, just us recreational players, what we see on the PGA Tour is what sure. we try to implement in our own games, whether we, we're taking too long reading putts or, you know, we're, we make excuses based on the win. Like the PGA Tour is the model. So if the PGA Tour players are, are putting into the hole that is not filled with, with a pool noodle or PVC pipe, or if they are raking the, the bunkers, or if they are still, you know, being so close to their caddy or, or talking to their fellow PGA Tour player, isn't that going to have a trickle-down effect to the recreational game? I think everything does. I mean, even we've had this conversation before. Slow play, I feel like, trickles down all the way from the top. You see guys on TV on Sunday taking their time over every three-footer, and unfortunately, you get in a situation with your group on Monday, and you do the exact same thing when you don't have to because you're not playing for millions of dollars in FedEx Cup points in a major championship. And, yes, I'm afraid so. And that, that'll be interesting when golf does return. And there's going to be things that they're not going to play Colonial with pool noodles. In the hole, they just can't do that. You have to play them out. But I, I think just to get the idea, and again, watching this golf course, and it's a random nine-hole course, and I just had the idea. I wanted to see how this worked out. How many people were adhering to the rules? And that I do think at some point it becomes the new normal. I mean, one of the strangest things is just not shaking hands. I mean, it's what we've always done, and you won't do it on the first tee, and you won't do it on the on the last green. I mean, and you brought up a really good point. If, if you've ever stood on the first tee box at Colonial. Yeah, it's only tiny. about as big as that office you're sitting in right now. I yeah. mean, it's a tiny, tiny little place. So, I mean, all of these are going to be challenges that golf is going to have to tackle. And you're right. In, in a lot of ways, the PGA Tours, they don't have a choice. They're going to have to be the example in this. And they're going to have to test so many people each and every week to make sure that it is perfectly safe. Because because let's let's just think about one one group on the golf course, right? If you've If you've got a three ball, you've got three players, three caddies. They said they're not going to have standard bearers, obviously, because, you know, what, what good is that going to do when there's no fans? Uh, but, you are gonna, but you are going to have walking scores, of course, for shot link. Um, you're probably going to have people out there who are helping find golf balls, uh, spotters or whatever you want to call them. I, I think now you can have some bunker rakers, some assigned bunker rakers. To me, Rex, the big issue is the flag stick. How are you going to handle the flag stick on the PJ Tour? You cannot have pool noodles. You cannot be playing for $1.2 million first play prizes. And Why can't you noodles. just do it? So what are you going to have? Hand sanitizer after each, and every, after each and every green? 
Like people are going to be, well, you just mentioned the walking raker. I mean, couldn't you just have some, someone who walks the, I mean, that someone that stays on each green, you only need 18 volunteers to do this and they pull the flag. Good put it back in. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, eight, that's 18 volunteers for guys who stand out there, you know, four and a half hour shifts, whatever you want to do it for a, a nine hour day. I could certainly see that. I mean, you just, you're just going to have to have these people assigned to doing it all day. That's, that's the simplest way around it. Yeah, I agree. Well, the beauty is, is we are going to have some warm up events. And one of those warm up events is coming up just in a couple of weeks in a match that was just announced, sponsored by TaylorMade. It's going to be Roy McIlroy and Dustin Johnson against Ricky Fowler and your boy, Matthew Wolf. Now, you've been on the Wolf bandwagon for a long time. Do you see those two having any chance at all against DJ and Rory? <laughs> I mean, on on paper, this is a profound mismatch. And of, and of course, the actual competition oh. is is playing is, is second fiddle to actually, you know, donating these, these, these charity dollars to, to very worthy causes with COVID-19 relief. Let's, let's just get that out of the way. But if you actually want to break this down, you know, golf wise, R Ricky and Wolf are going to have their, 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 their work cut out for them to try and make this competitive. I, I, I totally get it. It's, it's Rory and DJ versus the Oklahoma state boys. And, you know, they, they play a lot of practice rounds together. I think it'll be very entertaining. Uh, I, I did find it funny, Rex, and people were, A, didn't know who Matthew Wolf was, which if you're a golf wow. fan at all, like, what were you doing last summer that you didn't know who Matthew Wolf was? All right, not everyone follows you on Twitter during the NCAA championship. Move it along. Make sure you read my profile. Uh, it, was, it was excellent. Um, and, and secondly, like, why is Matthew Wolf playing in this as opposed to, like, Justin Thomas? I thought they were supposed to be boys in South Florida. Like, this is a tailor-made event. I think it'll be really cool. Uh, having DJ mic'd up is certainly going to be an interesting experiment. Um, I think Matthew Wolf mic'd up will be would be incredible. If you've ever spent time around him at all, he is, he's giving the needle constantly. Uh, but the real star of the show, Rex, for that charity match is going to be Seminole. Actually having Seminole on TV for the very first time with a golf match, heading into the Walker Cup next year in May, which is going to be at Seminole and on TV as well, is, is just a terrific appetizer for, for getting golf back. Uh, on the world stage again. I used to make it a point when we played in Miami and before the WGC moved to Mexico to uh, the Seminole member pro was always the Monday before the Doral event. And I made a point of, and you really have to sneak out. It's not an easy golf course to even get a peek at. And I would sneak out just to watch it. And it's a brilliant golf course. And, and I think you're right. That's going to be the star of the match. I mean, the real star of the match is going to be the charities. I mean, it's $4 million right now going to an assortment of COVID-19 relief efforts. And I, I think that's going to be, this is something that golf can do very, very easily. And we're going to see it. I think more players have reached out in, to me over the last few days, trying to figure out how they can do something similar. So I think we're going to see more of this before golf actually returns at Colonial. But it's also going to be a litmus test. We're also going to be able to look at this from a TV only product and say, these are the things we can do. These are the things we can't do. This is going to be different. This is how we're going to have to address it. Miking the players, hearing the interaction, that's going to be the highlight of that. There aren't going to be cheers drowning out conversations anymore. We're going to hear everything that's said between players, between caddies. And I think that's going to be the, one of the cool parts of it. Yeah, absolutely. Just hearing their conversations, what they actually talk about during during the round is going to be is going to be so interesting. You know, Rory is such an interesting guy anyway. Just to have him mic'd up for four hours um, is 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 going to be great. And, and you're right, Rex. This is this is a litmus test, not just for the players to see how they can socially distance throughout a throughout a round, but also on the on the TV aspect. This is a very scaled down production of what we're going to see moving forward, starting 
in June. And, and when you look at just the NBC staff, you're going to have Tariko at home in Michigan. You're going to have Rich Lerner and Azinger at a at an off-site production facility. You're only going to have two walking reporters in Steve Sands and Jerry Foltz providing the color commentary. Like that to me feels like the new normal that you're going to have yeah. a very limited on course presence. Everyone else is going to be off-site. You don't have to be socially distanced in your production in your production truck. That's just gonna how, how it's gonna be. And so just doing this for one group, one featured group, multiply that by 40, and that's what you have for a PJ Tour tournament. I'm going to love the conversation between Rory and DJ when Rory starts talking about whatever self-help novel he's thumbing through at the moment. And DJ's <laughs> eyes just kind of glossing over and not having any interest in digital minimalism. Yeah, sounds, sounds good, man. Sounds good, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, that'll work out well. Uh, do you like the format? Two-man skins? Uh, I would have liked to see alternate shot. Although, you know, if, if we can get the Tiger Phil Brady Manning matches alternate shot where you can get put in some some weird positions, I'll, I'll take it there. I think I think this match, this charity match, is actually going to be good golf. Um, it's going to be good golf on a very interesting golf course. DJ made the, the point in one of the interviews he did this week that you know you step on property at Seminole and you think, oh, you're going to absolutely tear this place up, and then you get out there and your score is never good. Because on every single hole, the, the wind is somehow blowing from a different direction. It's, every it's single, geographically every impossible. Single, every single shot you're hitting, it's, it's, it's just playing tricks on you. It's like the 12th hole at Augusta throughout the entire 18-hole experience. And it's right on the ocean. But the odd thing is you, can, you can't see the whole ocean from any hole on the golf course because of the dunes. So you don't really have an idea. There aren't many trees, so you don't know where the wind's coming from. All right, before we get out of here, there was an update. and We, we discussed the eligibility changes that the PGA tour made with the corn Ferry tour last week. We won't get into that, but the corn Ferry tour did release its schedule on Monday and th some things did stand out. You and I discussed this sort of starting back their season, back-to-back -back events there in the North Florida area. And then they'll have essentially two events at TPC San Antonio. It's almost, they're putting players in a bubble, which other sports are talking about. And I think the corn Ferry tour much more so than the PGA tour and to do this and do this well. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And and when you're looking at the, the eligibility, um, not just for 2020, but, but 2021 as well, with this new schedule, assuming everything can get back started the second week of June, that is going to be an enormous sample size for the Corn Ferry Tour players. If you look at what their season would be, if you can get these, the, these events in, it's going to be 23 events in 2020. You look at, at what those the, the top players did last year on the Corn Ferry Tour to earn status on the PGA Tour for this season, they're typically playing between 17 and 20 events. So you're going to have a full season on the Corn Ferry Tour without any promotion or relegation, which is a really interesting problem. And when you combine it with this mega season now in 2021, you're looking at 45 to 50 tournaments to, to determine who's going to get their status. And, and I would agree that Look, the best players are probably going to separate themselves. And look, if they win three times, they get that instant promotion to the PGA Tour. But you're also going to have some oddball scenarios, Rex. You're going to have some players who who play horribly in 2020 and go absolutely lights out in 2021. You're going to have players who, at the end of 2020, would have been guaranteed their PGA Tour card, who fall off the map next year and, and don't end up getting that status. You're going to have a lot of really interesting scenarios. I, I, I feel for those guys, but... But look, that that three win carrot is still dangling for them out there. The best players are going to end up proving themselves. It's just going to take a little bit longer to get there. 
Well, this goes to what the fall is going to look like. If everything stays on schedule the way we hope it is, the way it's currently slated, it's going to be so much golf, so much high-profile golf. But even these tournaments, I mean, there's going to be just a glut of, of all these different competitions, and that's actually going to be entertaining. I, I've gone long enough without hand sanitizer. My hands are drying out. I need to uh, get some alcohol on very, very quickly. For Lav, I'm Rex. That'll do it for this Golf Central podcast presented by TaylorMade. See you next week. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.